Uh, last Sunday, uh, if you tuned in on Facebook, if we don't have church, know that there will always be a devotion on Facebook. My brother-in-law and I were talking. You know, like kids in Kentucky, they didn't get snow days this year because they had to go to NTI and they were on- online learning when it was snowed. And we said the principle of a snow day has changed. So as a pastor, sometimes when there was a snow day, I knew that the next week I just didn't have to work quite as hard because my sermon was already ready, but that doesn't work anymore. So know that if we miss church, there's going to be a devotion on Facebook and it'll be on YouTube or wherever else uh, you may connect to be able to see those things. So if you didn't check that one out, you can check it out. Uh, the full sermon's on YouTube also. But I started a series, and you know I mentioned the premise that you know this year, uh, last year at this time, Everything's shut down. And one of the most challenging moments for churches was Easter Sunday. And we weren't in church together. Like, that was the, the, the hard one. You know, we missed for snow, we missed for other things. But Easter Sunday, we weren't able to be physically together in the church. And so I think churches this year are gearing up because we're together again. And so Easter is, 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 an, is an exciting service for us because we get to celebrate together. And so I just wanted to preach a series that leads us to Easter. And as I read through the, the, the passion stories or the Gospels, and I'm reading about the, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the arrest, all these things of Jesus, uh, wondering how God wanted me to share the story this year. As a pastor, I want to, to bring the story to life and remind us of things. And, and I think that most of us have, have watched the Mel Gibson movie. We've seen it, you know. We know this story. And, and something that God illuminated to me was, was the idea of Easter in quotes. And these are words that are spoken, whether it's by Jesus or by others in this passion story, that I truly believe tell us the story of Easter. And so each week from here to Easter, from last week through Easter, I want to take one quote and look at that quote and see what it's speaking to me about the revelation of Jesus Christ in this world. Last week, we were in the garden, right after the Passover feast, when Jesus completely confused his disciples. He like rocked their world. They're all going to, he said, you're all going to leave me. You're all going to betray me. They're wondering what's going on. And they went to the garden with Jesus. And Jesus and his disciples, uh, he, he told them to keep watch and pray. And, and three times he came back and said these same three words. Are you asleep? As a body of Christ, I wanted us to wrestle through the reality. God's given us a task. He told the disciples to watch and pray. He's given us a task as well. Are we sleeping? Are we finding reasons to not do what God has called us to do. So this morning, actually where I'm picking up is immediately after those verses. So Jesus, if you'll recall, this garden, the garden moment with Jesus ends with what? What was the end? Huh? He gets arrested, right? The last time he wakes him up, he says, look guys, they're here. You ready for this? So he gets arrested. So when someone gets arrested, the next step is trial, right? Not that we're speaking from experience. Anybody in this room, right? Irene, my clicker is not working. Thank you. So, we're going to be in Mark chapter 14. That that might have been why. It was at the end. Nope. Just keep up with me, Irene. Mark chapter 14. There's a trial, because once someone's arrested, we have a trial. It says, they took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, and the elders, and the teachers of the law came together. 
So this is a religious trial. Okay, This isn't a civil trial. It's a religious trial. Peter followed him at a distance, right, into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave statements that did not agree and gave this the false testimony against him. We have heard him say, I will destroy this, test, this temple made with human hands, and in three days I will build another, not made with hands. Yet even when their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. I mean, look, right now, what are you going to say about what everything people are saying? He says nothing. There's no quote there. We're not to the quote yet. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Verse 62, Jesus says, I am, said Jesus. And you'll see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One, coming on the clouds of heaven. Verse 63 says, The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses? He asked, You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. And some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him. They struck him with their fists. And they said, Prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. You ever read the story and you think, what happened? Like the, the flip just switched. We're having a trial. They're bringing false testimonies against him. All these people are trying to say this and that. Jesus is remaining silent. The, 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 the chief priest, they asked Jesus one question. His response is two words. This is the quote that I want to look at today. His response is, I am. They asked him a question. He said, I am. And what did they do? They ripped their clothes. It says the chief priest literally ripped his clothes. They blindfolded Jesus and they began to to beat him. And they said, hey, prophesy who did this. The guards arrested him and they beat him. What happened? Why were those two words so powerful? I mean, we went from trial to craziness just because of those two words. The words, I am. We see a similar situation happen in in, in the book of John. In the book of John chapter 8, Jesus is out and about and some of the religious elite are trying to trap him. They're, They're upset with him. They want to stop what he's doing. They're affecting their business and he's affecting their business and so they come and begin to question him. Verse 48 says, The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying you're a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Look where this is starting. They're looking at Jesus and saying, Aren't we right in saying you're a Samaritan? Now remember the Samaritans of the time, they did not have any value in society. They were looked down upon. They were half-breeds. Are we not right in saying you're a Samaritan and demon-possessed? This is where this question starts. I'm not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this they exclaimed, now we know that you're demon-possessed. Abraham died, so did the prophets. You say... That whoever obeys your word would never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? 
He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? And Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. And he says in verse 55, though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Now look, Jesus just called these guys who called him demon-possessed and a Samaritan a liar. And what is their response? Just read this. Stick with me. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, they said to him. So like, Jesus just called these dudes liars. And they come back with a civil discourse. It doesn't say they screamed. It doesn't say they yelled. It doesn't say anything else. It says, Jesus called him a liar and they said. They questioned, you're not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. And because of those two words, a switch got flipped in this moment. We've called Jesus a half-breed. We've called him demon-possessed. He's called us liars. But now, because he said, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, at what? Not being called a liar, but at this quote of Jesus Christ. They picked up stones, and they, they, they were going to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. What is it about these words? Why were the religious so enraged when Jesus spoke these words? I believe that last week and this week begin to present the mystery of Jesus Christ. The reality that we teach about Jesus is that he was first fully man and fully God. Last week we saw Jesus as he went into the garden and his humanity, his flesh, is illustrated. It said he was distressed and disturbed as he began to pray. He prayed to the Father, not my will, not my desires, but your be done. We see the fullness of the flesh of Jesus Christ being revealed. The mystery of Christ is not that he's just fully man, but that he's fully God. And when Jesus declared, I am, he was declaring the divine nature that was him. That was the blasphemous moment that caused them to be enraged. Jesus is declaring not that I'm fully man, but now he's declaring that I'm fully God. Because those two words, the phrase I am, within the Jewish leaders would have resonated with their hearts. All through scripture, I think... That phrase, uh, the numbers I read about 6,900 times in the Old Testament, the phrase I am is used. It was a phrase that was so revered in that culture that the Jews would not even speak it for fear of dishonoring the name of God. 
And this man had the gall to look at the high priest and actually claim that he was. He proclaimed the name of God, not just for God, but himself. The mystery of I am. The mystery of of this reality being revealed. We see it first in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. Right in the beginning. It says, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when, when they were created. When the Lord God, now anywhere you see the word Lord in the Old Testament is where the word, the name of God is absolutely used. So in this translation, when you see the Lord God in the Hebrew, it would say Yahweh Elohim is what it says in Hebrew. But that Yahweh, see Elohim was the name of, for God. That was the supreme nature of God. But Yahweh, when it was added to it, brought a personal connection to who he was. The name of God truly was Yahweh Elohim when the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. The footnotes in my Bible on that particular verse. Another name for God is introduced in verse 4. The name Lord, that's Hebrew Yahweh. Whereas Elohim is the general name for God emphasizing the greatness of his power. Lord is the personal and covenant name by which God reveals himself to his own people. Inherent in the revelation of God's covenant name is his loving kindness, his redemptive concern for the human race, and his nearness and faithful presence with his people. I want to reiterate that. When God uses the name Yahweh, when God speaks his name, he wants to communicate his loving kindness communicated through Jesus Christ. His redemptive concern for the human race and the nearness and faithful presence with his people. This personal name is used in situations where he is seen in direct relationship to his people for nature where the words the Lord God are coupled together. They point to God as the all-powerful creator who has entered into a caring relationship with humankind. When God speaks his name, the name Yahweh, when Jesus says, I am, he's communicating the desire for God to have personal relationship with man. How was that revealed greater than through the actual sacrifice of Jesus Christ that took care of that which separated us from him and allowed us to have relationship with him? I want us to hear those words, I am. You know, when I read this, there's going to be a a scripture in just a few moments. I read in Exodus where, where Moses is at the burning bush and God is calling him to his purpose. And he's supposed to go lead the people of God. And and Moses is asking him all, well, who am I supposed to say I have authority from? Like, how are these people going to listen to me? God gives Moses this same name, Exodus chapter 4. Moses said to God, who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that is, it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, what's his name? Then you shall tell them. Or then, what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. 
Have you ever tried to stop and comprehend that? Like the Israelites want to know who sent me, and I'm supposed to say that I am who sent me. And when they say that God sent me to, to, to lead you, and they say, what's his name? I'm supposed to say, I am who I am. Wouldn't that Popeye or someone? Have you ever stopped to really ponder what that fully means? The declaration of Yahweh, the declaration that I am? Jesus communicating to us, not just the religious leaders of the time, but to us, his followers, that I am was in this moment. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, that's the I am, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. What's his name forever? Yahweh. I am. He says it in Exodus. This is my name forever. So when the Pharisees and when the chief priests begin to ask Jesus questions about his identity and he speaks these words, whether it's before Abraham was, I am. Or he says to them, I am. And the Son of Man will be coming into the clouds. He's saying, remember that name that was God's forever? That's who I am. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. God is, I am. I believe, church, we need to fully comprehend what it means that God is. I am. Remember the scriptures that say he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's who God is. Jesus described himself. Remember we have these I am statements from Jesus as he's describing who he is. He says, I am the bread of life. Remember that? That's the the, the disciples. They had to have manna in the desert to, to give them life every day. And Jesus describing himself says, I am. The I am. God is the bread of life. He's what gives you what you need every day. I'm the light of the world. I am the gate, the way, the truth, and the life. The good shepherd, the resurrection, and the life. I am the true vine. Jesus trying to communicate to us what he truly is. God is. You know, and sometimes for me, it's hard for me to truly comprehend I am. I get lost in that. To me, that's like one of those topics that's it's overwhelming. So when people ask who he is, I say I am, and then they're wondering who is I am. But for myself, I have to say that if God describes himself as I am, then maybe I can start describing him as he is. Rather than me trying to wrestle through what I am means, maybe I need to wrestle through what he is means. 
See, Jesus was declaring that he is God. He was declaring what he is. And sometimes I need to be reminded because of what Jesus Christ accomplished, because I'm now a child of God, because of the covenant promise of God, the relationship that God has with man, that he is. So when I'm persecuted, God is. So that when I'm struggling, he absolutely is. So that when I'm sick, God is. So that when I'm facing challenges, God is. What if I declared that he is rather than wondering who I am? He absolutely is. When I'm facing storms, he is. When I'm doubting everything, he is. When the world, now watch the news right now and see what they're saying about people who believe in God. When the world is trying to steal the truth, I know that God is. So when people are telling me I'm crazy for believing a 2,000 year old myth, I can say, but he is. When persecution comes, he is. When I see a sunset, he is. When I'm healed from a sickness, He is. Whether I feel Him or not, He is. What if? What if I could fully wrap my mind about the reality that He is? I believe when Jesus was standing before the high priest. I believe when Jesus was standing before the elders, he wanted us to know that I am so that we could believe that he is. That's his name. And I want to tell you something in Scripture. Your name means something. They didn't just come up with willy-nilly names because they sounded good together. But the name of God meant something. The reality that Jesus wanted us to know that I am. The promise that God spoke in Genesis. That 6,800 times in the Old Testament, he reminded us that he was Yahweh. That Jesus began to call himself the I am. I am all these things. I am who I am. That's the name of God. Tim, if you can come up here. This morning as we wrap up this moment, I believe that God, the Easter in quotes today, we recognized last week that, the, that, that Jesus is calling us to a purpose. This week, I believe that God is calling us to think about the truth that He is. And I don't know where you are, and I don't know what you've been going through, but as Tam leads us in a song that she's going to sing in just a moment, it talks about all about who God is in the Scriptures. It talks about all the ways God has revealed Himself in the Scriptures. I don't know what situations, I don't know if you've ever truly recognized who He is, but I can promise you, He says, whoever can confess His name will be saved. That's who He is. He's the one who allowed us to have salvation. He's the one that made the way for God's love to be revealed in us. And as Tam sings these words, I encourage you to think about your life and the places that you need to recognize that God is. The good, the bad, the ugly. 
in the victories and in the defeats that you can recognize truly that God is. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask her to sing. And I'm going to be at the altar. If you need to know who God is, I want a moment to be able to pray with you. If you need to to recognize the truth that was accomplished through Jesus Christ, the reality that, yes, he was fully man, but that, yes, he is fully God, that his death was a perfect death to bring forgiveness of sin, I want to be able to pray with you. If you're saying, Pastor, I've recognized that fact, but, man, I've lost the sight of I am in the middle of the storm that I'm facing, let me stand with you and maybe point your eyes to the one who is. Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for this time. And we thank you for this word. And God, I pray for us in this room that we begin to grasp the fullness of He is. I ask God that as as we spend time listening to you as we spend time reflecting on on the eternal nature of who you were, the one that is the same yesterday, today, and forever, the one who speaks that I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, and all that stuff in between. God, I pray that we can recognize that you are. Holy Spirit, reveal this divine mystery in our lives. In Jesus' name.